You ever feel lost, uninspired, alone, or defeated? Well, I'm inviting you to some fellow dreamers for some insight. I believe dreams matter, and you have one, or two, or ten, I don't know. To tackle challenges with love instead of fear is the first step. So let's experience this together as we dive into the stills of life. Are you ready? Go with the flow. Hello, everyone. You're in for a real treat. My guest is a fountain of knowledge in the world of selling your creative art and providing business solutions of advertising to multiple countries. Coming from USC, a director of marketing, rising as a senior executive, then as vice president in international marketing for Sony Pictures and executive vice president for Lionsgate Studios and founding and partnering in other companies like local language distribution studios. This man is generously offering his insight and strategic advice on how to sell your film to a broad market. This is Michael Fisk. Michael, welcome. Thank you. So glad to be here. It's nice to finally meet you because we started a dialogue on the online first yeah. after a Canon panel in yeah. Burbank. And um, that was your keynote, right? Yes. Okay. And then you left full screen. And then I saw your Gmail in the upper right corner. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's <laughs> yes. So that's how I tracked you down. And I was like, and uh, I wanted to. I just decided to be a still photographer, so I just cold emailed you, and I was shocked that you emailed back the same day. Yeah, we've done like we've done a few panels, and that panel, what that panel was on. I don't know. PR was a PR, or was there's a few that we've done, you know, and. Uh, I remember, we, yeah, we definitely were talking about unit photography, and we want to do another panel, you know, probably in the yeah. next few months specifically about that. So because people like you actually were bringing that up quite a bit, and then it kind of resonated with us and saying that, okay, if people are asking about it, we should really now discuss it. So based oh. on what you had to say, you know, we're going to try to do that in the next few months. Yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, film jobs that I don't even think about or I just forgot about. Yeah. Because... Uh, I get hooked on stills when they get released early, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and I just thought, this could be really fun. And how do I start? I don't know what to do. I have a camera. Yeah. <laughs> but, anywho. but enough about me. This is about you. Okay, where did you grow up? I grew up um, back east in New England and Connecticut. And from there, I ended up... I'm going to school in the Midwest and University of Notre Dame. I ended up working in D.C., working in San Francisco, and then ended up here in L.A. You went to all the cold places, and now you're here. Yes. I think okay. I realized I need to be near warmth. <laughs> after a while. You're not going to go anywhere after this. <laughs> I know. It's like I probably have to go. If I'm going to leave L.A., I probably have to go south more to San Diego. You know? <laughs> okay. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hotter there, but... Uh, you don't have any family in the Carolinas right now, do you? No, no, okay. not there. Yeah, That's most good. of my family lives um, back east or um, relatives from out of Romania and Chicago, and most of my relatives actually live in Germany and Switzerland. R Romania, you said? Yeah, it's like a big contingent from Romania. And then after uh, the communists fell there, Ceausescu was killed, they all rushed into southern Germany. Um, others actually left Romania back in 1911, 1912, and came through New York, through Ellis Island, and then moved to Chicago. So I have a slew of relatives there, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's a movie. Could be, yeah. I never really thought, <laughs> I never really thought about that. But, yeah, I guess it could be a script. Okay. <laughs> this is how ignorant I am from history classes from back in the day. Um, okay, so how long have you lived here now in L.A.? Um, L.A., a little over 20 years. It was last year was 20-year mark, and I came here for grad school to USC. 
that's what brought me down here. And what did you study there? Uh, MBA in marketing, mainly okay. because my undergrad at Notre Dame was in biology, which was a total, yeah, total what different. The? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but the but the interesting thing was is that at Notre Dame, because in South Bend, Indiana, there really isn't much to do there. So Football. I was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the fall, yes, exactly. In the fall, yes, that's the campus shuts down for that. Uh, but the thing is that I was there first uh, for the student union board all four years, and uh-huh. we would bring in the movies to the campus. We'd bring in the musicians. We'd bring in the theater groups. We'd bring in like random acts like hypnotists or whatever it was because you had that's to entertain fun. it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But yeah. I literally thought this is to your point. It's mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. You don't do a career in marketing yeah. you don't like who makes money off of just marketing movies you know this is just what you do in college i didn't you know it just never dawned on me that this is something that you could actually do and so i stuck with biology and worked for a nonprofit research conservation organization in washington dc and that lasted about a year when i realized it wasn't meant to be i mean i they had a good cause but um, a lot of my coworkers would get up at five in the morning to go bird watching and I love birds, but <laughs> not, not, that much. not at five in the morning. You know? Okay. So even at USC that early in your life, you, you fell in love with marketing. So, but even right before that, how did you get that bug? Well, to the point, like Notre Dame was already, where the, I didn't know it was marketing. So I loved marketing, movies oh, so you and kind stuff. of just, unbeknownst to you, just kind of fell into it and you're like... It just was always there. It's I just, just didn't realize it, you know, until after, after leaving D.C. I went to... Um, Friends of mine said, why don't you just stay on our couch in San Francisco? And I just stayed on the futon three weeks. And then I ended up temping a lot in San Francisco. Um, and after a year and a half, there was, I worked, ended up working for these venture capitalists that uh, started up these businesses from food companies to uh, real estate companies to medical equipment. And I said, look, I obviously have a lot to learn. I said, I'll stay with you guys because they wanted to hire me. And I said, if I stay with you guys, will you sh- take me under your wing and show me how you yeah. do business plans and marketing? And I want to go back to school. And so they ended up helping me do that. And that's how I ended up applying for an MBA program and getting it to USC. Sounds like you were very aggressive as far as outreaching and getting what you want. Are you, was that always like you? No, not at all. Not were you at all. an introvert like me? No, I would say I'm an ex an extrovert, like a very much of an extrovert, because uh-huh. I love if I could, if I have a choice of either being in solitary confinement or being in the middle of a circus, I'll be in the middle of a circus. I choose uh, that any day. So. No, <laughs> I know introverts would no. <laughs> say something different about that. Well, good for yeah. you. Uh, okay, so after USC, uh, you got to your first job was at NBC. Or Universal at the time. I don't it know actually, what you would call it, it now. was it. Uh, yes, I'd say the full time job. That actually, was your my, big break. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. My first job was actually I was temping. Um, a friend of mine uh, worked in HR at Warner Brothers. Interestingly enough, and said mm-hmm. that if you want to break into the industry, you know, very often what people do is they sign up with the temp agencies that each studio has, and each studio has a different one. You sign up with them, and you could possibly get your foot in the door. So I did that, and I got a call from the temp agency that said, hey, we have this gig in downtown L.A., can you do it? And I was like, sure. I ended up being, I drove downtown L.A. Is there parking? Well, I was actually, had to work um, in the basement of a parking structure and working Ah. for a parking company, and they wanted me to take all these handwritten uh, license plate numbers. and sounds like a car wash. Yeah, it was like, it was basically, that was what it was like in those basement areas. You know, it was like dark, dingy 
nothing to do. And I sat there all day and I just put in these license plate frames, or license plate numbers into a database. And I was like, okay, I got paid for that. And okay. while I was driving home, that the agency good. called again and said, hey, we have a job for you at Warner Brothers. Nice. And basically what they were doing, which I found out later, was they just wanted to know, will this guy show up on time? Yes. Will he dress appropriately? Will yes. he not like drool on himself? You know, it's like, will he just, you know, be professional about what he has to do? And will the client like it before they actually would recommend me to be at Warner Brothers? And I was there for three weeks working for Warner Brothers Entertainedum. This is back in 99. So this is when they were, and they were creating original content, like animation series, like Batman. And, but it was, they were way, way ahead of their time, which was phenomenal. But this is still when people were on dial up or broadband. When you go to a website, you can choose, are you on a dial up or a broadband? Because if you, if you picked um, dial ups, they would give you different content because they couldn't serve this type of content, you know, this video content. I remember. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, uh, and so I ended up being there for three weeks. And then my boss at the time, she ended up um, getting um, a job at NBC Universal, and uh -huh. then she took me along, and that's oh. where I got my full time gig. So in a way, my big break was NBC Universal. Was that Donna Langley? No, no, no. How crazy was, would that be? I know it would no, no, it wasn't. It was actually uh -huh. a, a friend now, Kim, and she's 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 doing really well in the business, and it's interesting to see where her career took off and oh. reminded too. So that's great. She's doing well. Yeah, it's like it's nice keeping in touch with people over all these years. Damn, you got into yeah. studio that early. I hate you. Yeah, All right. It was, it was like, you know, it was like a lucky break, you know. Right. Like, Are you a creative person? Do you have to be to be in marketing? I would say here's the interesting thing. When people think of the word creative, yeah. They think, okay, you're going to do like you're a designer. You're you a you know, you do photography, you do videography, you do um, you know, screenwriting and scripts and so on. Uh-oh. I don't fall into that. Now, I think the creativity is like if you broaden it out is like how can you do creative solutions to coming up with marketing campaigns, creative solutions to problems that exist out there, that I would say then I am creative. I, you'll ask me to draw something, you know, you'll say great stick figures, Michael, <laughs> you know? Okay. And so, but I'd say, yeah, I like the create, I like the creative fields. I like the creativity. I like creative solutions. I guess that's mm -hmm. what it would be. And that's what I really enjoy. Okay. Solving problems. Yes. Okay. We'll get to that. I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that makes for you as a create you you're, you're a creative person you're doing podcasts I, and photography and yes I, i'm a creative person without any solutions okay <laughs> just, just lots of problems you create the problems for people to solve that no like, i'd be like oh mr fisk i have a problem this poster has too much red is this gonna sell <laughs> you're like no it's it's too bloody uh but anyway <laughs> Well, we're going to get to this later, but it's it's interesting. You started at WV, and you're there now. Consulting so it's there kind now. of like a big yeah. full circle. It is. Okay. But we'll, we'll get to that if yeah. all you three listeners are listening. Um, <laughs> Turn into the 300, 3,000. <laughs> okay. And uh, just to jump ahead a little bit, because uh, you were at Sony for, would you say that was your longest? Yeah, I did my growing up. I'd say back. most of my career growth was at Sony Pictures for 12 and a half years. Wow. How did you get that job? That job, it depends what people, like there's different stories to it. I'd say my boss who hired me at the time has a different recollection than my recollection. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. um, Let's I, go with yours. Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> I think it was interesting because it's a lot of networking and getting to know people. I was um, interested in leaving MGM at the time. Okay. And I 
was applying for jobs around the industry. You know, it was everything from Jim Henson Company to even Sony Pictures. And I, there was what this, job title were you searching and applying? I was applying at that time, uh, maybe manager. It was a manager. Yeah, like it's either associate, a coordinator or manager level, I think that's what it ended up. Yeah, manager. Oh. No, I take that back. It was like MGM was different. Manager, yeah, it was around that level, manager, director level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then how? how oh, so I was it? applying for different jobs at Sony, and then this one for international digital marketing popped up, but I didn't even know about. And the person I was interviewing for my boss for a separate job, he said, well, he has this other one, and then he hired me for that. However, he remembers me at being at a UCLA extension class that I attended on um, marketing entertainment research, and he was a guest lecturer there. He remembered you? Yeah, so he's like, remembered. And I, I think probably remembered me is, is a kind word in the sense that um, he, he probably heard that I was there and then contacted the professor who had me as a student and then kind of jogged his memory about it. But he has a really good memory, so he probably does remember me. Whoa. I don't know. I, you must have made some kind of impact. Did I, you bring him donuts or yeah. <laughs> coffee to that, that? I have no idea. <laughs> I remember anybody who would bring me bring donuts, free donuts. donuts. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to remember you yeah, 20 so years I'll from have now. to remember that moving forward. <laughs> it works, man. It's like, donuts, cookies. Yeah, uh, a venti size. People I don't remember know. those. Yeah. Oh. It does. yeah. So that's how I started. That's... There it was just me, and I ended up. Um, it was a new. It was a new job, a new role, and which was exciting because there was an, I could create it as I wished. Um, it was nerve wracking because there was no path that said this is what was done before. And I was the. I was actually very proud of what I was able to do there because I was able to grow to around fourteen people in the U.S. And then additional around another 14 people outside the U.S. So we would have uh, digital marketers in Germany or a digital marketer in uh, Brazil or a digital marketer in Japan. Wow. And that was it was really fun to be able to grow a department and uh, from scratch that way. You're and creating an army. Yeah, it was like a digital army, you could call it yeah. that. Yeah, it was like, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Your hubs. Yes, it was actually, it was, it was, it's amazing because actually, as I was telling you before, is that um, one of the, the person that I was having dinner last night from mm -hmm. Taiwan, Ken, um, he and I met through that job at Sony. And he's at, he's at different studios now, right now in Taiwan. Wow. And we've just kept in touch all these years. And, you'll, you know, it's like, it was a really good time. You know, it's like the people there that I really enjoyed keeping in touch with. So when you just kind of briefly take us to your like week one of Sony, I mean, I imagine how scared you must be and mm -hmm. excited as well. But uh, how do you how did you adjust? I mean, it's a it's a whole another beast, right? Because yeah. of that title. So take us through like your day to day, if you could. Yeah, I rem I remember that. It's funny you ask about that because I do remember that first day, and I remember. Yeah. Um, I got in quote unquote early, you know, just because to prove myself and already was were already they earlier. Late. Yes, yes. <laughs> they, were? They, were, <laughs> they were earlier. They were already before that I thought that I should be there. <laughs> and they, they called me into a meeting in my boss's office and he had this big green couch. And I remember sitting on this, um, this green couch, uh, it was yeah. kind of like a very plush velvety style. And it just, they started running. I mean, it was like boom, 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 going through campaigns. And it was a faster pace than I've ever was used to. 
And I was like, oh, I'm going to learn a lot here. And, and I did. And you just, you just all of a sudden you realize like, oh, I was jogging. Okay, now I'm learning how to sprint. Sprinting. Yeah. And that's something that I definitely learned there. Because the business is, particularly when you think about the international business, it, there's always someone awake at some time of the day. And usually my, my weeks began Sunday afternoon when you had like Australia and Japan come on, like around like four o'clock in the afternoon our time. And then it was just constant. Like when I would wake up Monday mornings, you had Europe already have a bunch of emails. By the time I wanted to leave at six o'clock, Asia was already on and you have to deal with a lot of their stuff. Um, and then the best, I'd say the best um, time is usually Friday afternoons because Asia is on their Saturday. Europe is left for the day or, you know, it's like in bed and LATAM is you know, kind of winding down. And so wow. that's when it usually was the quiet period. It's like from Friday afternoons to Sunday afternoon. Were yeah. you, uh, did you carry that job as like a, a one man person or did you already have a team or did you just work under your boss? Yeah, I, well, I started with just myself first and okay. then um, slowly was able to grow a team, you know, to 14 people. You know, and you hired them personally? Yeah. All these assets? Yes, you these, if you, <laughs> these international these assets. No, these, yes. <laughs> no, and they were, they were, they were, they were phenomenal. It was, they were like really great colleagues and they're uh, right now they're in all different parts of the industry. And that's the thing is that what I learned is it's a very, it's a very, it's a small industry, but it's also just a small world. I mean, you yeah. keep running into the same people over and over again. I mean, even doing this consulting gig at Warner brothers and there I was walking the halls on my first week and I was running the people that I knew from my Sony days, you know, wow. from MGM days. And I didn't even expect it, you know, and it's, it, it, it shows you the importance of, of how important it is to treat people well, because you're going to run into them again. And, yeah. and it's like the, how you treat others, how you um, behave yourself and professionally meetings, people will remember that. Okay. So with these 14 uh, people under you, what were the common denominators that you absolutely must have in that team? I would say it was interesting because we would we had three pillars that we always talked about for our department, and mm -hmm. the one was strategy, being very strategic, you know, mm -hmm. being able to look at the bigger picture and look long term. Um, the other one was creative, creativity, and you know, as we talked about, what does it mean to be creative? Yeah. You know, but it's and it's I, I I define it in a broader term, you know, because we have to create these campaigns, we have to create digital assets, we have to create games and sites and social media assets and so on. So that would be the second pillar. And the third one is, is customer relationships and customer service. It's like, how do we uh, make sure that our international markets get what they need? Because they're, they're like these um, satellite planets, you know, kind of like out there. And they're just trying to get these signals from home office of like, what, you know, what should they use for these campaigns? Did they get information from us? And if they have questions, are we responding back in time? And so that's where the third pillar of the customer relationship of customer service is really important, you know, and, and understanding. I think what people also forget is we here in the U.S. as native English speakers, we're very lucky it's easy for us to communicate now yeah. if you're dealing with these 70 countries that exist out there english isn't their first language so how do you make sure that you communicate properly do you communicate slowly enough for them to understand do you have yeah. the so that was my next question because um out of those 14 people i mean they must be do you hire them because they're experts on like this this country's culture their dynamics what kind of movie taste they have all that stuff 
No, yeah. No, <laughs> no. Oh, no I, think, okay. I, I think when I first began, I, I used to think, oh, in international, you have to speak multiple languages, like almost yeah. be like the UN, right? Uh, well, money speaks every language. Yeah, the, you know, it does. If, you, if you're able to have enough money to do campaigns, yeah. Uh, but I think what I found out, it was, it was less about whether people knew languages or not. It oh, was, it was, well, first of all, in this day and age, the lingua franca now is English with the business language in the world is if you're doing business anywhere in the world, it, everyone speaks English in general, you know, in general. So That's if good. you go to Europe, like, yeah, it makes it easy for us as English speaking Americans because, you know, then don't you get worried that data might get, you know, the data, uh, this communication might get misunderstood and something might backfire. Yeah, you mean in in the sense that if you're speaking in English to someone who's a non-native speaker and they have yeah. to learn it, yeah, I mean, there's always there's nuances that you know. It's interesting. You you learn like certain traits. Like I know the Brazilians like when they use the word I want, they always say I have a doubt. Like and as an as an English speaker, you're like you're doubting me. What what do you, what are you doubting? But what I it took me a while to realize. Oh, they're saying I have a question. Oh, doubt and question are kind of what they, yeah, they they're do. Pretty much yeah, the same. yeah, but but the new ones. I have lots of, of doubts. Yeah, doubt. <laughs> see, but but if I say, oh, you know, Billy, you know, I have a doubt. You know, I doubt what you're saying right now, and you, yeah. you would be like, what did you know? Did I say something right? Versus if I say, hey, Billy, do I, you know, I have a question about what you said. Then you're like, oh, you have a question about it. Versus I'm doubting, you know, your credibility or doubting. Yeah, what that you would have freak to say. me out. Yeah, yeah. But you have to realize. You don't want to hear terms. that from anybody. Yeah, and so those are the things you hey, kind I of. I have a learn. doubt. Yeah. About you. Yes. And so you kind of realize over time, you know, the way words are used, you know, carry, okay. carry meaning, you know, and just being very mindful of understanding and giving, I guess, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. You know? Yeah, I try. <laughs> now, did you keep that same team in all your years at Sony? No, they would. Um, the, a, a few actually ended up working for other studios. You know, okay. they're, they're across uh, everything from Paramount. Do you hate those people now? Or I what's love going on? them. Okay. I lo- no, seriously. I literally, the team. I say if he's shaking his head, people. Yeah, don't. No, I don't. I he love, doesn't really love them. No, I love them. No, they. Here's the thing: is that they are great friends and great colleagues. And when Good. they they send out the bad signal and want help, I'll be there for them, and Aww. vice versa. Right. And it's a it's a as I said, it's a small world. Um, you you call them up very often for advice. You know on on looking up like what's a good vendor to hire, what is the new technology, what do they think of augmented reality, what you know, what is going on from a, a industry perspective. So they're they're just a great resources to have, you know, and it's yeah. I, it's better to have people spread out, you know, and and letting and seeing them grow in their careers than trying yeah. to hold them back underneath one company. There's also that fine line of this person accidentally becoming like your spy or something. You could, yeah, I, I don't know, but here's, I've never. <laughs> Tell me you didn't do that. No, I've never. <laughs> oh, have, I know. Oh, I thought you meant that they would be a spy within my group versus, you know, for uh, out there. Uh, oh, vice okay, versa, yeah, sure. no, vice versa. No, well, first of all, I, I don't believe there's any secrets in Hollywood, period. You know, there's, there's so many people that hop between the studios so often, and they have their friends in different studios, their spouse. I mean, I know so many people who's. Spouses work in the industry and they work on different studios. So when oh. every time a studio says, "Oh, it's it's confidential," you're like, you know, it's, that's a fun dinner. It's not. It's not. You know, nothing, no. nothing, nothing is. And I, what I also realized when I was at Sony, I was part of that um, Sony hack. You know, when you had, oh, the, you were, yeah. And so basically, all our information was put out there. 
And what I found out from being going through that, because they brought the FBI on campus and they actually ended up speaking to us about, you know, um, vulnerabilities and hacking and pri- pri- privacy and piracy. This is all because of that one comedy. Yeah, the I interview? think it was probably other. There was Which other I loved, too. by the way. I the really, I'm so, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it was like, it was on CNN for like days. Like someone got hacked because of this movie. We think it's the North Koreans. And it was. They just indicted that one hacker recently. Oh, I didn't hear about that. They, yeah. They, oh, they, they pinpointed a, a hacker. From, in North Korea? Yeah. Yeah. They even showed his picture and everything. Oh. But they're not going to get him. Are they? In North, <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> <unless they're, laughs> I mean, was, was your job ever compromised because of that hack? No. It's not like you have anything to hide, but no, I, I, you know, that's 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 no. You bring up a good point. Is if you live your life and treating people well and being professional, yeah. you don't really have to worry about it. Do you're I, not, am, I not, am I am I pure? No, you know, it's like no. uh, if I have my faults, yes, but but you saw a lot. But you're of not trash talking actors in your emails, like no, okay. no, and and truthfully, we shouldn't. You know, the yeah. thing is, they exec, they should exec should be spending the time to create really good movies and really great campaigns, and that's what should be done. And okay. uh, I wasn't I wasn't as worried about it. it. Doesn't mean that there aren't you know that I was you know as I said pure about it, um, mm-hmm. but it's but I think people should be very mindful of what they put into emails and texts, and um, yeah. people did you know, and people afterwards were a lot more careful about it, and, oh and some gosh. people you know went right back into their old ways, you know, yeah. and so you get an email and you're just like, oof, you know, I don't know how I want to respond to this, oh, gosh. <laughs> but no, but that's you have to you know whether nowadays if it's text or or messaging, you know, it's like you, everything is seen, and that's what I found out too is everyone's worried, oh. Well, okay, you worked at Sony, therefore your information was compromised. What we found out is every single one of our social security numbers in the U.S. has been compromised. It's, oh there's God. only two types of people, people that know it was compromised and people who just don't know it was compromised. I mean, it's just, it's That's been done. Scary. Yeah, so you just have to live your life knowing that we live in a day and age where all our information can be hacked and just assume that it is and has been and knowing that like in the way it kind of changes the way you think because mm-hmm. if you know that it's going to be seen by all these people or can be seen you kind of change the way you actually what you put into writing oh and the gosh. way you treat people okay well all right well so yeah, movies, yeah billy's like oh my god <laughs> he's like yeah, you're delete. gonna scrub your <laughs> email yeah. and what you put on twitter i got, <laughs> I got some things to trash um now uh, you were there when uh, for James Bond, for Skyfall, Spectre. Yeah, it's um, a great franchise. Now, what, this is probably a dumb question, but because that's a, such a long-running, successful franchise, are those in a way easier to market? Because the whole world knows this, this guy, this world that they just love. It's it's interesting you, you ask that because... It, I think if you ask a lot of people, it is you think it's you think it'd be easier because you know people are a little with it. just yeah, a little a little bit. I think um, because the, the I think it's actually a little bit harder at times because everyone in the world has a strong opinion about James Bond, you know, oh. and so you have to be very careful. You have to live within the parameters of this brand, you know, and the and the the owners, the um, Eon and the Broccoli family own it. They they know the brand extremely well and. 
they're very protective of it because that's that's their bread and butter. And outside of the movies, they also do books. You know, they do stuff with home entertainment and television. Mm. And so it's a, it's a brand that extends across so many different areas other than just that movie. So they're going to have a very particular and strong point of view of what works and what doesn't because at the end of the day, they're going to have to make another one and another one and another one. Yeah. Um, and so you have to kind of live within these parameters of what what um, Bond is and what Bond can be. And um, you can aspire, you can't ever be James Bond, but you can aspire Damn. to try to be like him, you know? And, yeah. I mean, so kind of understanding those nuances of, of how it is. So you would think it would be easy because you're like, everyone knows it. You're right. Getting awareness is not the issue. It's more of like, how do you, how do you market this movie fitting in the brand parameters? Yeah. That's the difficult part because there's going to be very specific things and everyone else has, and everyone's very opinionated. All the fans are very, very opinionated about it and will have a lot to that say. That surprises me because I figure most people will be universally loving this character and these movies. But it, but it's like any fan, like even if they do all universally love these yeah. movies, they have strong opinions of what they like and what they don't like. Right, you know? right. They, everyone has their favorite Bond. Like, for example, if I asked you, what's your favorite James Bond out of all of the ones? Uh, 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 <laughs> I love Casino Royale and Skyfall. Okay. Yeah, um, Daniel Craig. Because they showed what Martin Campbell and Sam Mendes did was show a different side of him. Like, you have the origin story and mm -hmm. how he first fell in love and how... That explains why he's a cold character. Yeah. Most people forget he is a cold character. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about anybody. Yep. Um, he's all about the mission, and he doesn't trust women at all. So that, it was interesting to see that kind of prequel, Genesis kind of thing. And Skyfall I love because he's trying to see if he still matters. Mm -hmm. in this to, day and age of, yeah, yeah this digital yeah. day and age. It so in a, way, in a way that movie was conscious about today, because there's been so many James Bonds and he's trying to like, you know, resurrect himself and redeem himself and, and revenge, you know, because of uh, Mr. White. And yeah. I, I love revenge. Yeah. I just love that shit. Um, <laughs> okay. So if you could be James Bond, would you want to be him? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, for maybe, but, but, you're, but you're just saying like, you know, but he's very cold. He had this bad, you know, it's like this, this very difficult, you know, childhood. And uh, he doesn't look like he has to pay bills or shop clothes or shop cars. <laughs> so I'm uh, like, now we, okay, now we know. <laughs> hey man, you want to, you want to meet me James Bond? You wanna, sure. You want to drive an Aston Martin? You know? Yeah. And if you trash it, you don't miss it because you get another one. <laughs> it just shows up in your garage. Yeah. And then you tell Q like, hey, I need a, a new gadget. Yeah, yeah. I need a DNA uh, gun or whatever. Yes. Um, but I don't want to be James Bond forever. Maybe just, maybe for a couple months. A couple months. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Okay. I, like I, to, I would like to go to those beach cities and, mm -hmm. you know, do nothing and yeah, buy. Yeah. And travel the world. Yeah. Flirt it's with okay. this one girl, flirt with that girl. Hey, you want to be Bond girl number 23? You get to be drink martinis. You know, and so. uh, I, I can't drink very well, uh, but so. I'll take a sip. Okay. You know, do it. And then I'll crash on the sand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge lightweight. Uh, it's bad. Um, but anyway, uh, I want to ask like the most important question I have in my notes here. Uh, your resume is so huge, but uh, if you could just walk us through like the timeline and the process of like when a film is done, Mm -hmm. and up until its release like please walk us through i'm so curious about this like what does you what did your team and do to advertise the hell out of it I, I the the key thing i think people forget is very often the marketing if it's done well 
it starts with almost like the green light process. You know, once mm. the film has been green light, even before it gets into production and people are on set, you know, okay. ideally that's the best time to start an entire marketing campaign. So usually what I tell the team is the best way to kind of begin is read the script because okay. that's the, that will tell you the entire story. And I really do believe this industry is so driven by the writers and thank God there's these amazing writers in our industry that create these stories and these scripts for us to enjoy. And then we kind of build on top of it, you know, with the directors and producers doing the marketers, you know, and start, you know, building this entire movie, you know, based upon yeah. the written word. Um, and so the script will give a really good understanding of understanding of like the characters themselves, the genre. And then you kind of start in your mind, you're like, okay, well, if this is the genre, this is the type of movie, this is the type of characters, these are the type of scenes, you know, who would the target market be? So then you start mm. getting into the strategy. You know, you want to create. Okay, ideally, here we go. Yeah, so like this, this is where it is. So ideally, if, if it's done well, you create a positioning sentence or two about the overall sweeping view of like what this movie is, you know, how you want to position it. It's like not, a log line? Yeah, it's almost like a log line in a way. Um, it's not, it's, one thing people always make a mistake is they make it sound like a synopsis. And that's not, or a summary, that's not what it is, yeah, I can, you know, yeah, okay. it's like, it's, it's really just kind of stating like, okay, it's a, you know, a, a horror film based upon, uh, uh, well-known franchises with key cast, you know, and you can list out the cast, you know, and those are kind of like certain key elements that you want to highlight. You want to mm -hmm. highlight that it's horror. You want to highlight that it's based on a franchise and then there might be famous actors in it. You want to leverage them, you know, or you might say it's an animated family friendly, um, uh, animated feature, um, you know, that's, you know, with new worlds, you know, in outer space, you know, and so you just kind of keep it kind of more of like a top line. So people kind of understand like what, how you kind of want to market it. Mm -hmm. Then you kind of go into, uh, target markets, you know, you kind of might say, I want to go after a family audience, but it's like, okay, well, family is a broad term, you know, is it six year old kids to 12 or you're dealing with five to eight or, you know, six to 18, you know, and then parents too. Uh, or you want to target, you know, if it's based on a book, you know, the book readers, you know, do you want to do, or fans of the cast, you know, so you kind of start figuring out like, who do you want to kind of target there? Uh, and then you might have secondary target markets. And that actually is helpful, particularly when you get into media and media buying of like what you, who you want to target specifically, or even, you know, editorial partners who have, um, you know, certain publications and magazines target certain demos versus others, you know, or even on social media. So again, you do positioning, then you do, you know, target audience. And then I think you go into the strategy, you kind of over, you know, like three or four different strategic elements to it. And then under each strategy element, you can talk about tactics, you know, so you might want to say, okay, you know, we, we know that uh, we have a big star in this film. Let's, you know, make sure we target the fans of the star, you know, X. Well, then how do you do that? Okay, so let's, let's make sure star X actually, you know, does some video intros and posts it on her social media pages. Yeah. Or do we get star X into certain print publications? Or do we get star X to travel around the world, you know, to do, you know, junkets and so on. And those yeah. are kind of more tactical things, you know, based upon the overall strategy. So you try to get that all done early on. And, and but then you will while they're shooting even. Ideally, yeah, because if yeah. you if and if you can, um, because I think in your last panel, you mentioned they, these movie stars have assistance to t handle the social media stuff uploads with the Instagram stories like you talked about. And uh, I know The Rock does it all himself already, um, but I'm sure he has a team. So that early, they're some, just yeah, showing some, previews and previews. Yeah, some some talent do it themselves. Some have a staff who does it for them. You know, it all depends on the personality. Some don't even have a social media presence because they don't like it. So, 
you can't do it. You know, it's yeah. uh, you could try maybe the, sometimes the studios might create their own just for the movie, you know, for yeah, them. Yeah, I you know? see those. Yeah, so, but yeah, you, you really do want to start on set because if you can get press on sets to do a press visit, you know, or set visit, you want to get influencers to visit the sets, you want to take photography as we talked a little bit about before with yeah. your photography too. Do you oversee all of that you just mentioned? Oh, no, 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 no. There's entire teams. Tactics? Yeah, these are all okay. tactics. So you have publicity's involved, the media's involved, digital's involved, promotion's involved. So every single department, you know, will be actually contributing to the overall strategy. Every okay. department will be contributing to a set visit because sometimes promotions needs to, if they do a big deal with uh, McDonald's or they do with a big insurance company, you know, they might want to bring in those people onto set, you know, to kind of get woo them, you know, to kind of say, hey, look, yeah. you know, look how big this movie is going to be. Please put a lot of promotions and effort and their own media behind it. Oh, yeah, so, so it's, much it's pressure. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's it's it's really that's a lot what, easier if the movie's good too. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. That helps market it with the, the press. But I think that's why. Remember when? Um, remember when the you you go into movie theaters and they were talking about um, trying to convince people to stop doing um, piracy. You know, from stop you know downloading movies and watching it onto your laptop. Yes. You know, and sharing it with friends. You know, and they had those ads when you went into the movie theaters and they said, you know, it's like, hi, um, you know, I'm so-and-so and I'm on a grip on this movie, you know, and you basically what they're saying is, is like, you have thousands and thousands of people that are being hired, you know, to make the movie. And then you have even more thousands of people helping market and distribute the movie. Yeah. And you, it's, it's really a huge industry of just trying to get one movie out there and it impacts a ton of people, yeah, you know, so and every single time people actually, you know, pirate it, it's not, you know, people think, Oh, well, you know, the star gets $20 million. I don't feel bad for them. Yeah. You know, do I feel bad for them? No, but that's that one person. Then there's like, you know, thousands and thousands of people who rely upon that revenue to be able to make a living and pay a mortgage and, you know, support a family or, you know, educate themselves and so on. Oh my gosh. So like, let's say after a film is wrapped, uh, what does you and your team usually do with, um, if, if you want to uh, go from key art to opening day? Uh, oh yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you'll also at the same time, the, You'll start creating teaser posters and teaser teaser trailers. Um, you'll, you know, there's so many different elements as you kind of go through the campaign itself. You know, mm -hmm. and then you sometimes have a full poster, or sometimes you only have one poster or three posters. By the posters. unit photographer. The unit photographer the will be extremely important for creating still images for use of media, digital like social media. Um, when I say publicity too, you want to get a first look and put it into the trades, you know, and then yeah. you might have a more of a broader look that will be used, you know, for EW, you know, or People Magazine or whatever it might be, yeah. you know, or Vogue or, you know, who knows. Variety uh, or yes, something. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, the varieties in Hollywood reporters, they tend to be the trade publication, you know, and Screen Daily, you know, they, oh. they, they will, you, you almost like a separate, you know, image because they're, because it's industry. So you're going to have more of like a first look sometimes with them and then you might do more of a broad audience look but sometimes it might be this one and the oh, same you know so it depends on the movie it depends on your depends on the strategy of okay. what you're trying to accomplish you know because sometimes you'll create a separate image just for trades quickly you know uh -huh. and then you might do a bigger one for more broad or it might be just one if you only have very limited assets but you know photography is extremely important to get the good ones because if you don't do it right then you have very few images to be able to share out there or you have to then spend a lot of money to kind of do a separate photo shoot you know, with oh talent and cast and, and costume and hair and makeup and so on. It's a lot easier to do it when it's on set, assuming the director is okay with it. 
the director has to be okay with that. Yeah, because they're, they're filming on set. That's their their the director's role is to actually okay. you know make the movie, and so they if they have time for it, you know they have to approve whether or not there's time for marketing to kind of come in and you know do some photos or bring people on set. You know because okay. the last thing they want to do is because it costs a lot of money every day that they are late delayed on it that costs a lot of money with all you know when you talk about the thousands of people you know making a movie. You're paying them their salary and by day, yeah. you know, and the more days that you delay it because you have people visiting or whatever it might be, yeah, it costs money. So when you're strategizing a, a poster, teaser, full poster, a full one sheet, and all that stuff, are you guys just uh, coming with ideas and then outsourcing that so that artists will create it for you, and you guys will have options? Yeah, most studios have um, they they hire. Um, creative shops, you know, for doing the print campaign, from, okay. you know, poster look, key art look, you know, outdoor, and then also AV, you know, from trailer or TV spots or even like vignettes. Um, and it, depending on the campaign, depending on the studio, it's most of the time it's hiring outside agencies, creative agencies to do it, but it's the studio and the, the creative lead, you know, who's overseeing it to give that direction, you know, to give okay. the positioning and, and the, the move and theme and, and, and finding out what do they, what is, what's working, what's not, and what do they want to present to execs internally as well as filmmakers? Because so many people, yeah. How are all, you guys not stepping on each other's toes? There will be at times. You know? right. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, there will be. It's, no, there it's will so be. hard. It's but, hard, hard not to. Yeah, it's it's like I I because uh, you'll have an opinion of a poster and be like, this does not reflect the film's aura, and. And but someone might say, "Well, I think it's it's colorful enough where people will buy a ticket." How do you resolve that? No, it's 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 it's. I have to give the the creative leads a lot of credit for being able to. They have to manage that process, you know, okay. because you have to run it past. You have to run it past internal execs. You have to get approvals. You have to run it. Sometimes you have talent to get to. Some sometimes the talent actors have approval rights to it. Sometimes yeah, talk talk about that because I was kind of I was pretty surprised when you said like yeah the lead actor can actually approve or not approve a poster if it's in their contract if they just look bad or something yeah. or like I don't like this angle of me they can kill it and they won't get a poster then if they don't approve it. So yeah, so they, yeah, but usually those are the bigger name stars. But sometimes they have consultation rights, which means they don't have approval. Meaning that you just have to show it to them, and then you can get feedback, and you could say, "I don't like the feedback," and I'll do it anyway, my my own way. Okay. You rarely, I mean, you're not going to really go against talent, you know, because you want them to work for you and and be happy with the movie and the product itself. So but what if the talent? Okay, let's say a talent doesn't like the poster, but all your team and all the executives do. What happens? We come up with another solution, creative Holy creative solutions, cow. as we talk about. You come up with another creative solution or go back and try to explain the importance of why we need this specific one. So you try you to know. talk her into it. And yeah, like, you try. It's either listen, it's, Mrs. Powers, Roberts, <laughs> powers of persuasion or or, you know, taking the feedback of what they have to say and then creating something that works for both sides. It's a very it's a, you know, it's a finding a right compromise. Interesting. And you also mentioned like titles change all the time. Titles will change. Yeah. Like even, even after the movie's wrapped. Yeah. Until like, if it's not really been marketed yet, you know, how common is this? I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's not super common, but it's not uncommon. So it's, I'd say majority of the time people know what the title is going to be, you know, but right. every now and then you'll, um, like 12 strong was a good example or that was horse soldiers at the time or horse soldiers of, like Benghazi or something like that. So they went yeah. through different iterations of the title and they ended up 
doing 12 soldiers. Sometimes it will right. be based upon, um, sometimes you don't have a choice because another studio might have the rights to that name, 12 soldiers from another project they're working on, or they might have a previous project and they have to kind of give the rights to say, yes, you can use it, this title for this period of time, you know, oh, so there's an entire White process. House down and yeah. So there's, yeah. So there's, Olympus yeah. Olympus Fallen. Fallen. Yeah. So there might be, well, that that well, that's more of a conflict with the same movie, almost the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, imagine of, if they had the same title. Yeah, the title. Yeah, and you can't. And you and and then there's you house know, down white. Yeah, uh, I don't know. They'll do. I think they also they change. You know, they will. They they get feedback of what what does the you know when you hear a certain title it conjures certain things in your mind about yeah. it. You know, and you're like, well, that doesn't conjure the right thing. Um, so is, is, that the, is that the main reason, just for the story's sake, or just for an international, uh, like it's something you, to remember kind of thing? Usually, you you want a title that helps. You want a title that helps sell the film. That's what you really want. Okay. You know, so when people hear it, does it sound like an action film? You know, if you have an action film that sounds like a rom com, you know, like mm, you know, it's like you probably want to change the title. You know, or if it's confusing, or if it's generic. You know, you want something that people. So it should and fit that genre and that story. It should fit the genre, the story, and, and also, and you know, be, you even look at it as, like, as an easy hashtag. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, there's like, that. You know? Oh, kids. It's like, you know? I hate hashtags. <laughs> but I understand them. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're very helpful no and offense. useful in, in marketing. Yes, they are. Yeah. But, you know, those are the things you that you have to kind of think about with the title. So the title might change from, you know, in some movies just because it's important yeah. to have a strong title name that I was a little surprised when they named Spectre as the next title after Skyfall. Yeah. It's the same two syllables. Starts oh, with the letter S. Saying, yeah. And Spectre is like But it's based on the villain, you know, so it kind of goes right. back to the lore. I didn't know that. Oh so okay, as okay, like a yeah. as a ignorant James Bond fan, like if but you want to be James if, Bond, you better know this. No. I do. I do. <laughs> like if I'm just some kid in, in Asia and be like Spectre? That's a James Bond film. Um, yeah, it's not. I was I, a little surprised by that choice. Yeah, I I agree. I I agree. I don't think it's an easy. Most people don't know what Spectre means, like spectral, you know, kind of ghostly. You know what yeah. what is that real term? But Inspector. To, yeah, or yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it was that, but you know, Inspector Gadget. I don't think it was there, but but you no. Know, but to your point though, earlier when you talk about James Bond and the brand. Yeah, you have James Bond the brand. I mean, it's yeah. like you can get away with you know. Yeah, not, it's easier. Yeah, I you mean, just see the logo with 007 and the the gun, the gun and you're yep. like, yeah, you're yeah. done. Yeah, there's certain exactly. You have those certain iconic elements, the gun barrel yeah. that kind of goes across the screen, and then you see James Bond in silhouette, kind of then shooting. That never gets old. Yeah, I love that. I love that sniper scene shot. I don't know what what they call it, but yeah, the gun barrel. The bond. Yeah, the yep. gun barrel. Yep. Okay. Is there um. Is there a timing protocol like uh, for marketing a film? So, for example, when, how early or late should you release a still, then the, another still, and then the teaser poster, the full one sheet? I wish there was a formula that okay. we could use. There, there really isn't. It, it all depends on the film. If you're dealing with a big franchise film, you want to do it early on because if people like fans see uh, the film shooting on the street and they take pictures of the superhero in a really bad, you know, like a bad image and that gets out there versus you want to do that still like a professional shot and put out there. So then anything that fans create, you know, doesn't get in people's minds, you know, people yeah. know what it is. So you want to do that early. But if you're dealing with like a, a drama that's, 
that has a lot of competition and you want to save some stuff a little bit later, you know, as, um, because you just, you don't want to use up, you know, uh, an image or an asset and then there's nothing for a long period of time because people will forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, like if I want to actually make my feature after like so many years of finished writing it, I'd be like, I'd be so stressed about like when to release what so that people will remember it, have something to look forward to and want another like a preview still or something or a poster or whatever or a clip. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm a nobody and we don't have any stars, obviously. So is there is there like a casualty of like overdoing it? There can be. I think okay. the, what you're bringing up is a really good point in the sense that what you're looked, what you're really talking about and what the studios actually um, do is they do a content strategy rollout plan. So they will look at all the types of content through the period of time and looking at what the competition is, what holidays exist, because holidays play a big important role oh. in things. Uh, you know, with animated features, you typically want to release around kids' holidays, you know, and are available. Um, but, you know, you, you look at, do you have stills? Do you have video pieces? Do you have stunts? Do you have, um, you know, premieres? You know, you kind of figure yeah. out this con the content that kind of goes from the beginning from on set to all the way to the movie release, you know, and every movie is going to be a little bit different, you know, on where um, the length of time you're going to have a marketing campaign and the type of content that you have. If you have a lot of content, that makes it easier. You know, if you have very okay. little content, you have to be very careful and judicious on how you put that out. Now, when you're releasing, uh, when you're coordinating your key art with these other countries, with all your your assets, mm -hmm. um, uh, is it their job to like change the text to their language, all that stuff, outsourcing all that uh, text and art? It depends on the studio. Some, it, you know, it, it's every it, movies are different. Studios are different. Sometimes studios do everything mostly in house. They get feedback from a mm -hmm. country like Brazil or Mexico and saying, you know, Mexico and Brazil said they want certain looks and then it's done in house in LA, meaning, or sometimes they will actually go off and get the approval to actually hire their own vendor and create their own their own type of art poster. So it, it's a it's a mix, you know, really, and okay. it also depends on the type of movie too. You know, if you have we said a James Bond, it's going to be, everything's going to be controlled and centralized. You know, you're not going to have the countries create off their own. If you have a, you know, usually, usually like um, animated animations and, you know, kids friendly films, um, those tend to have a lot more leeway and flexibility yeah. and being able to create different looks and poster styles. And so the countries sometimes have the options to create their own. And then, but they, at the end of the day, even if let's say, Taiwan creates their own poster or Australia creates their own poster, they still have to run it past through home office because you have to get approvals. You guys. Yes. Okay. Because you still have to get approvals by filmmakers and the execs, and you have to run it past legal. You have to run it past the guilds, you know, because of the building block, you know, the writer's guild, director's guild. So this they has to, to go really fast because time is like flying by up until release. Yeah. Is it really of, that fast? Like, is that I know the, the approval process is not, the, oh, everything moves fast, yes. Yeah. But the approval process is, that, that's where you have to really put in a lot of lead time because you have to run it past a lot of people. You know, because what I, the interesting thing about our entertainment business is, you know, I, actually we didn't talk about this, but I actually, when I was at USC, I interned at Neutrogena and there you <laughs> had worked on a bar of soap. You know, the bar of soap. I love soap. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, that's good, very hygienic. Uh, very <laughs> um, but no, but the thing is that if we changed out the box, 
the soap never complained. We never had the soap yell at us and saying, we, I don't like the packaging you put me in. You know, but when you think about what we do in entertainment, we're actually packaging people, humans, like we're the talent, you know, stars, you know, directors, filmmakers, you know, it's, we're actually selling a product, but we're actually selling people at the same time because they're in it. So they have, and they have, as we know, literally folks. Yes. Exactly. Yes. uh, (laughs) Their images, (laughs) their images, their, their brands and they, and, you know, they have obviously, you know, you would like, for example, if you were put on a poster, you will have a strong opinion on how you look on it. You know, you will have a strong opinion on yeah. the images. Yeah. But yeah. I'd, I'd be like, I'd be like, I trust you guys. Just whatever angle you, you want. You would be a perfect, would, we would love you. I'd be a great client. Yes, you, you would know? be. You would be. We'd love that. I'd be like, I don't care if you desaturate me or whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to look at the poster anyway. So just do whatever you want. <laughs> Perfect. See, as long as we break even, see, you, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> so you're on the you're on the business side. <laughs> okay. Oh, about that, they don't release um, uh, like the internet these days. It's so obsessed about releasing the budget of a film, but they never talk about marketing budget. Mm-mm, and they don't want to share that secret. That's the secret okay, sauce. Why? And you told me these high numbers for a film, and I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. Yeah, so. it's their secret. The secret sauce is can you because the, if you spend a lot of money on marketing and distribution, that means there's less profit. You know, so let's say let's let's say that the movie makes a hundred million, but you spent ninety five million in marketing and distribution. Well, you only made five million. Now, if you're able to make a hundred million, but you only spent 60 million in marketing distribution, then you have 40 million profit. In a very, you know, this is a very, very basic sense, but that's why. It's you know, an insecurity thing? <laughs> no, well, I think. Embarrassment? Yeah, no, I don't know. Well, when you say you mean insecurity, meaning that you sh- should spend more money because you're insecure, or you mean you shouldn't spend money because you're insecure? Uh, uh, just divulging because. Uh, oh, let's divulging. Say, let's oh. say, uh, okay, okay, folks, Spider Man, we're going to. Spend 100 mil for the film. Mm-hmm. Marketing, we're going to spend, I don't know, 150 or something. And the movie doesn't do well. Mm-hmm. And and you lost money. It, it looks embarrassing. Is that why? Yeah, that, well, that's, I think that's why. I think I, I personally think it's more, that is embarrassing at the end of the day, but I think it's more of, um, can you actually hit the $100 million box office mark by spending less, by being more efficient? You know, so That'd be you, the dream. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and so the uh, studios that are more efficient at being able to do that don't want to kind of divulge their budgets because then the other studios are like, wait, you still are able to do it. Like, why? What are you doing over there that we would mimic? Because oh, everyone's competing against each other. Every, you, yeah. only have, you only have 52 weekends a year. You only have 52 chances to open up those Is films. Is that true? I'm so screwed. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're limited by time here on Earth. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> and it comes very apparent when you're, when I feel bad for distribution because they have to look at every single weekend and they have, to, they have this many films and all the other studios and they have to figure out which of those weekends they want to open. This is, um, this is staggering because when you first told me um, it costs, you don't have to confirm or deny, but hmm. hopefully you confirm, it could cost anywhere from like twenty to eighty million dollars to market a film. Yeah, I just thought that was stunning, and, uh, and that's some, you know, and they spend even on big blockbusters more. Yeah, sure. I mean, Star Wars. Who knows? Yeah. They probably mm-hmm. spend two hundred just to market the damn yeah. thing. Um, so when you're when the marketing budget, the secret marketing budget is is that <laughs> is that? Do you guys get that number before you start the film? Like here's here's the budget, Michael. 
go, can you do this with 25 mil? Yeah. And then let's say your team is like, oh, we need 35. I mean, yeah, there's there's going back and forth, you know, with marketing and and, and where does that money finance. come from? It's uh, the secret bank. The secret bank? <laughs> no, it's it's the stu- yeah the studios have their their own resources to be able to support it. Which oh, I would is love to know that stuff. But the I think but it, it it will change, you know, as the film. Once you see the film, very often. You, you, first of all, they do it based on historic. So they say, here's the genre of the film. This is the, you, know, you have a star actor in it. This gotcha. is what we kind of expect it to be. Okay. And you look at other films in the last five years, say, that kind of made this box office, similar type of you know, genre and film and PG or, or MPA rating. You know, It's like if you do oh, an R yeah. film, you make less versus PG-13 because there's fewer people that can go to it, you know, per yeah. se, in general. Um, but what the thing is, is that after you see the film, then you could be like, ooh, this isn't what we thought it was going to be, and you might want to cut back. Or it does like Crazy Rich Asians. That movie did number one three weekends in a row. Yeah. So then you're going to need more money to keep on marketing and keep it going, so then the budgets will be improved. Granted, now you know you're raking in money, so the budgets have increased to be able to do a, we call it either a support campaign or sustained campaign, meaning anything after release you spend money, you know, and after opening, you know, to keep it going, you know, and oh, so, so you're was... still working after it's released. Oh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's say, let's say you saw a film cut and it wasn't, and your your team is like, this is going to be really hard to market. Does that, do you tell the director and they have to like, and the studio is going to be like, okay, we have to recut it to make it marketable. Or vice versa. Does that ever they will, Yeah, they will that do that. The studios, they will have certain say in certain films where they will do go back and reshoot or recut. You know, and the director's pissed and sad. No. And no, just... so the, the good directors will understand, like if they want it to be commercial, yeah. you know, and understanding and taking that feedback, you know, because at the end of the day, marketing and distribution want this film to be successful so that the director can that like the director can make another film, you know, so, so they can do this again, you oh. know? And so that's, that's the ultimate. Oh, goal. there's actually some kindness there. Yes. There is okay. always some kindness so to make them look great. You Were know, you, that's what it is. did you work on Steve jobs? No, I did not work on that, that movie. What happened to that one? Cause it was an excellent film. I didn't see they didn't, it, yeah. they didn't sell any, uh, they didn't advertise it at all. Not much. And it didn't even go into many theaters. Yeah. I don't know. That's I, I really, weird, I did, that's yeah, a that weird case. Know. Yeah. There's a few films like that where it's really great and they just don't want to like show it off. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Can yeah. you imagine you as a director trying to, you know, being so glad, putting all this time and effort in your life to do yes. it and then you want, you want to see it on a big screen. and be able to Even talk. after he got the Oscar anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that, that just blows my mind. Um, what Me personally, I get very attracted to stills and uh, billboards. Okay. Um, you, that's perfect. You live in LA because it's a billboard culture here and yeah. also entertainment. You don't see all the movie posters and TV shows, posters, stuff, or billboards you see here. Yeah. If you go to any other city, you do not see that. Yeah. And number three would be posters. Um, yeah. But here's, here's a concern I have because I'm old fashioned and I think you are too. But are, do you think we're just going to go purely digital as far as marketing in the future? No. no. I don't know because. I hope not. No, because I think. I like we, physical. Yeah, we still, we are, exactly, we are still, we live in a digital world, but we still are human. We still like hugging people and meeting people in person. Yeah. We like doing, uh, going to experiences. We like going to a live theater. We like going to live concerts. We love, um, you know, it's, it's always interesting. Like, you will always choose, if you had a choice between 
two exact restaurants and one has nobody in it and one has like three quarters of the filled people in it, but they, everything's the same, you'll choose the one with all these three quarters of the people. And you will not speak to a single person in there that's sitting next to you. The only person you'll speak to is really maybe the maitre d' and the waiter. Gotcha. You know, and it's so bizarre when you think about it, it's like, well, why would it matter? But we are still those physical creatures. We want to be around others, you know, and and yeah. be able to do it. So I so that means like you you get out in the car, so you drive around. You know, you'll see you'll be yeah. influenced by what billboards are out there. And, and then you shit. bump into Morpheus and he tells you it's all a lie. Until then, yeah. you don't know, and it's true, that's the thing. It's like once <laughs> we become the singularity, you know, once we oh, God. merge then and yeah, then we're purely digital, you know. Oh my gosh. But I don't I don't see that happening in our lifetime. So until then, we're gonna need prints, we're gonna need, you know, uh TV spots and trailers that will be played in theaters yes, and on TV. And it's not gonna all be on your device because yeah. looking on your phone, a, a beautiful piece of work of art, you know, the, the movie itself or even what the creatives do on in the trailers, it really is meant to be seen on a big screen and so yes. and i'll give you i'll give you an example is um here in the u.s when you go to the movie theater there's a way everything your 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 time on that seat is taken up when you sit down if you get there early enough you will see ads you know for geico and so coca-cola <laughs> right you know and if you notice take a look next time if you notice the lights tend to be on yes now when we get into the trailers the movie trailers are showing the lights dim yes the movie screen gets wider yes. and you're getting a movie experience watching the trailers and then the trailer goes to the movie. Like, so it goes from ads then with lights, dim lights, trailers, and goes to movie. If you go to other parts of the world, they will actually keep the lights on when trailers are played, which is frustrating because you want them to I, see. That's right. I, I noticed that in Korea. And some of some of them will actually play maybe a trailers in the beginning, and then they go into the ads, and then they go into the movie. Okay. And the bigger issue now is, okay, if you're a theater owner, fine, you play Coca-Cola, Geico Insurance, or whatever it is, you know, those <laughs> fine. But now they're starting to play ads of a TV series. Yeah. Now, why would you as a theater encourage people to then stay at home, home and right do that. You right know, it's so but you don't you won't really see that Maybe it's the same network uh studio or i don't know no i don't know i think it's you know it's a money issue i think they probably know i don't know you know but it's but ideally it's the experience like you want this really good movie and the big movie screen experience you know you want to yes. see a movie there you want to see it in the dark you want to see it with great sounds you want to you know, um, you want the trailers to play the same way because that gives you that movie experience. And on a phone, you'll never yeah, get that. Yeah, it's a trans, it's a transportive uh, experience, mm -hmm. and you just want to like get sucked in vicariously. Yeah. And can I just say one other point too? Is when you talk about the experience, people forget when you buy a ticket, or even studios sometimes forget this. They're not just buying a ticket to go see the movie. It's it's when you go to the movies, it's an entire evening experience. For example, like you already have to figure it out, planning to go with friends and family. You have to figure out do you want to go to a dinner beforehand or drinks afterwards I do, or do a, yeah. you know or do you do some like fun event of like you know bowling whatever it might be and then the, the experience also goes into did you like the theater do your feet stick to the floor because they never clean it up or do you have one that actually offers <laughs> wine and offers sushi and it's nice you know seats you know and yeah. then afterwards you know the experience is like after leaving the theater do you want to talk about it and share it so yeah. the movie going experience is not just selling tickets it's 
from figuring out do you want to get it, getting your friends and family together to go as a group, hopefully, because you can yeah. sell more tickets, you know, and then choosing the type of theater. Do you, do you, you know, have, you know, you know, wine beforehand and food and whatever it might be, you know, or Validate afterwards. ticket. Yeah. And it's a four-hour night. Yeah. yeah. Parking, too. Is it easy to get parking? So, like, I think we as an industry have to kind of look at if we want to get more people into the theater, we can't just say, I'm going to market the movie. We have to kind of market the experience. And how oh. do we, as a student, as, as an industry, make the movie going experience so that people want fun to say, again. it's fun again and easy. You want to make it easy so you're not like worried about getting towed, you know, if you parked on the wrong spot, you know, oh, you God. want to, and it's not too expensive. You know, I mean, all of those things go into the, into someone's mind, maybe not consciously, you know, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the things that you have, you kind of sometimes have to worry about, you know, if you want to go out Jeez, to the movies. That's a know? delightful challenge. Yeah. I hope you come up with some solution I, for that. I love it. No, I seriously have been thinking about it for years. You Just know? make everything yeah. free. They'll come. <laughs> They'll flock. Yes. And then yeah. there's 30 people then. Yeah. Yeah. Asians will flock like, like <laughs> lightning. Because you say the F word, they'll come. They'll come. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's all free. free. Well, yeah. Not just your mattress, but the whole movie experience <laughs> is free. free. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm dying to ask you this question because okay. uh, which countries do well with like uh, certain genres like uh, action or action is easy to sell, but like dramas? thrillers um which countries succeed in that and yeah just answer that one first yeah it's no it's it's no it's a great question because it's easy to answer in the sense that there are certain buckets you know that you can make a generalization so um but it's hard because it depends on the movie you know but if it's a good movie you know then it transcends any you know place in general, like for example, if you look at Latin America, they tend to be younger population, tend to be more family-oriented, going as groups. So you're going to do like animated features do really well, you know, oh. like the Pixar's and Disney's and stuff do really, really well. Um, so any any of those type of films, family-friendly in general, it doesn't mean doesn't mean it doesn't work here or in Europe or Asia, but you know, yes, it works there too. But in Latin America, that tends to do better index-wise. Okay. Uh, what also works well in Latin America, as we saw with the Nun. They love horror, particularly paranormal, you know, and particularly paranormal. nuns. It's a very, you know, Catholic, you know, <laughs> you know, continent, you know. So they, um, you know, you have that. So you, all the nuns do, must hate that movie. Yeah, they, <laughs> or they think it's we're all badass. You know, you don't mess with a nun. You, know? yeah. you don't mess with. They'll it. Come back. Yeah, exactly. But you know, they really love these paranormal, mystical type horror type films. Okay. You know, separate from Thrasher, that's a different one. You know, but these type of you know paranormal nun conjuring. You know, um, uh, you know those those do well. Um, it, it does well in Asia too. But Asia tends to you get like the ring. You know, very often you get these uh, remakes of these you know the horror films yeah. from Asia and the U.S. and then they remake them back. Um, Asia tends to be more of an action market. They're they're just more traditional action type, big explosions, yeah. high you know, value. Easy. Yeah, I mean, does it mean that it doesn't work in Latin America and Europe? No, you know, but I think it indexes a little bit more there. The hardest one, I think, worldwide. The hardest genre worldwide are rom-coms because really? comedy, comedies overall, you, like as we talked about the word doubt versus ask, you know, it's like yeah. language, what, what people also find funny, what we in the U.S. find funny is different than what you think would be the same in the U.K. They're, they're, they're more like slapstick, you know, like Johnny yeah, English yeah, yeah. humor, you know, yeah. and we look at it and we're like, that's funny. And they look at our humor and they're like, that's funny. You know, it's a very... It's a very right. cultural. I think humor is a very cultural. It's very specific. Specific. Now, there's two types of humor. There's slapstick humor, which I think transcends anything in general, and those tend to do better. Versus if it's more verbal humor, 
Yeah. There, it's very, it's a local, it's a very local. Because like Judd Apatow's films are amazing, but they may not necessarily do well in most countries. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. And also you, what you see is local countries like Italy, when they do their own local comedies or rom-coms, they always do better than sometimes the Hollywood films because it's, they see themselves in it. They see their humor in it, their, their language in it. Yeah. And, and the, it's, it's the vernacular, you know, that hmm. they do. So I'd say comedies are more difficult, rom-coms, you know. I thought two. you were going to say sci-fi. Oh, sci-fi. Because they're all going to Netflix now. Sci-fi. Oh, well, that's a different. <laughs> sci-fi does well. Um, if I like, I think Brazil likes sci-fi. But they didn't as much. I think they did. Sci-fi transcends. It depends. Well, it depends on if it's a thinking sci-fi or is this going to be, you know, like a two thousand one, you know, it's, or you're doing with like a, you know, the alien sci-fi or Prometheus, you know, which are mm. these big epic, you know, those tend to be almost like action, you know, almost like these big action films, you know, type yeah. thing. Star Trek. Yeah, those do well worldwide. Okay, what about Australia? What do they love? Um, it's always interesting. I think you see like U.S., U.K., Australia tend to. Kind of lump, you know, English language. They tend to be, you know, former British colonies. You know, they have this okay. kind of sensibility for it. Um, they they tend to be, um, they tend to have more uh, their own their own humor. Like you know, when you look very cliche, Crocodile Dundee. You know that type of. Yeah, you yeah. know, they have their own very type of humor that they enjoy. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say kind of some some of the stuff similar to North America. Sometimes what the UK will do, but then. They have their own nuances when it comes to comedies and romance and God, I, would, I would love a whole list um yeah but but those are but again these are just generalizations so you know you can't just because you say oh you know i have this you know i have an action film therefore it's going to do well in asia so no. i have to do an action rom-com <laughs> and i can break all odds and i'll be the most, most genre, sought after filmmaker your genre bending yeah like la la land la la land where you're like is it a i wish i saw that in theaters film? i didn't beautiful film so, uh, Fantastic. Um, Here's a, I have a very selfish personal question. Uh, I want to do a dark, uh, a dramatic thriller. Mm -hmm. There are no stars in it. It's under like 10 mil. How do I market this? (laughs) I think first thing is you say you don't have a big star to it. So you look at what, what list films look at. Here's the first thing you should do. Look at films that have opened up in theaters and yeah. what was their box office in that genre and having no cast. And what is the type of, I don't know what the story is, but, you know, is there certain films that kind of fit that story? Yes. Then sit there, like, then realistically say, okay, what, you know, what, what am I hoping to accomplish? How many screens will we get? You know, it's probably not 3,000, you know, but will we get 1,500, you know, so-and-so. It depends on how many. And then what was that box office you'll get in North America? That will give you an idea of like the expectations if you kind of set that realistically. Yeah. Because very often what I hear filmmakers saying is like, I have this film, like you say, there's no stars attached, no, nothing. But they're like, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like, you know, um, you know, Transformers. You're like, well, yeah, I think we would all love that, you know, to mm-hmm. be it. But that's based on a franchise that's based upon Star yeah. Cell. You know, if this is... You're gonna have to look at non-star cell films and realistically what that will be. Uh, the closest film I could just say it, pitch it very quickly. Did you see George Clooney's The The American? No, I didn't. Okay, yeah. uh, my my story is kind of like that. It's about it's about a female kind of uh, assassin who's got a secret and kind of running from her handlers, and uh, she kind of finds hiding in a small town, and um, chaos ensues after that. 
So it's a script that I wrote. Uh, nobody steal the idea. I already copyrighted and everything. Um, but that's smart. I would love to have a yeah. movie star like Amy Adams yeah. or something. If you can, so now look at okay. So you listed George Clooney. Now, is there a movie that you can list that doesn't have George Clooney in it? You know, that's similar to what yours is. <sighs> no, of course they didn't do well. No, it depends on what you say is doing well. Would you be happy if it made ten million dollars? Yes. Can you make it for and market and fill info for less than ten million? Yeah, probably. So is that you know, and that's where you have to kind of look at like, okay, what are these comparative titles? What was the box office? And look, don't look back more than five years, you know, because things have changed. You know, yeah. five years. But look at movies. That's sad. Like <laughs> yeah, you know, but look at like realistically, look at those comparative okay. titles. You know, yeah. last five years, and then also take a look at how do they market it? What do they do? Look at their posters. You know, look at their trailers. How do they market it? You know? God, you yeah, you just made me realize. I think, yeah, you need a star. Well, am I the pin in your in your balloon? Did I just prop it? No, I think I've always known that. I just kind of forgot about it at this moment, and then I reminded that yeah, you need at least one movie star. Um, so, I mean, it's not going to be like Paranormal Activity. I don't want to go that route. Or, you know, um, anyway, shoot. Yeah, I mean, but that, but no, but, but that's realistic. I mean, in the sense that it doesn't mean that there aren't breakouts. Yeah. yeah, there will be. But I wouldn't bet on, like, don't put in your mind, like, oh, my God, this is going to be the one exception. My movie is going to be the exceptional breakout, you know. You know, then you might be disappointed. No, you know, that's if it does, cocky. Be, be, yeah, no, it's cocky. But also, if it does break out, then you can be like, oh, you know, that's a benefit versus thinking, oh, I knew it was going to happen. You know, yeah, but I think boy. also if you don't expect it to be, then you have to really think creatively, creative solutions of, as we talked about earlier, you know, how, you know, what, how do I want to make this film? You know, how do I want to, yeah. you know, create it and produce it and market it? Do you ever get worried if like a film that you marketed, one of many films that you guys were working on, just didn't do well? Like yeah, what happens? Like, do you guys get scolded or what? Yeah, you, you guys get I mean, beaten? it's part of the. It's part of the. Part of the. Does the blame the come to you? Oh yeah, they always. And, you know, everyone takes credit for a movie that did well. Everyone says I worked on it, and when it doesn't do well, everyone yeah. points fingers. You know, everyone does that. It's it's typical. The, I think you do get this point, particularly if you knew the film was really good. Like, I'll give an example. Like Damien Chazelle's um, Whiplash? movie Whiplash. Yeah. I loved that and it just was a you know it's like you didn't really have huge stars Damon Chazelle was still not known for you know for this film I mean you had um oh uh, just JK yeah JK you know you had it but in they there. made that and short film too yeah right and you know you and I think you know it did, critically it did that's a difference that's another thing that critically it did really well and put it on the map but it didn't make the box office that we like I was like I wanted every single person in the world to see this film I said you have to see this film it's yeah. phenomenal and you get disappointed when it doesn't do as well. You know, granted, that was used as a stepping stone, you know, for Damien to go on to the next one, to do, you know, La La Land, to be able to now do First Man, right? You yeah. Know, you know, so it kind of allowed, it had a different purpose, you know, instead of seeing it as a box office success. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say it was unsuccessful. I'd know, rather but, take the critical success Okay, first. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, I would love everyone to get paid and get a bonus if it does mm -hmm. well and, you know, all that gross points. Um, so, oh God, I was going to ask something about Whiplash. Shoot. While they're thinking about it, I remember I only, I saw it in two parts. I saw it in a theater while they're, while we're marketing in it. And I had to leave for another meeting at the last 20 minutes. 
Oh. I know. And I literally thought it was amazing. And then I talked to coworkers who stayed the entire time and they said, you left other 20, you, you have to go see it again. The like, last because 10 the, minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. and I said, no, I thought it was phenomenal of what I, literally, I was like, this is a phenomenal movie. And they're like, no, 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 you have to go back. So then I went to another screening showed up the last half. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it continues on, you know, after the yeah. accident. Yeah. It was just incredible. You know? I mean, Damien Chazelle, he's a lot younger than I am, but I was, the movie's fantastic right but on top of that what's even more fantastic to me they shot that film in three weeks oh i didn't know that less than three weeks i think wow i think jk said something like 17 days i could see it there's no i mean I, that's you know, impossible I you have musical numbers and lighting and all you have lots of actors in there wait are you talking about la, musical la, la, whiplash mean, whip, whip, what musical you mean dude, they're playing music not music yeah, yeah, singing, yeah, yeah. dancing yeah. okay oh, playing. but still that's almost impossible to shoot anyway i just thought that was impressive yeah well that's and that's the impressive thing about the production team when they have to because that if they spent four weeks that means they have to pay another week of salaries you know so that's yeah. why if they can condense everything into a shorter <laughs> period of time you know it's oh. all money. so that's why they you know it's it's all about money yeah so i heard a movie has to make two and a half times its budget just to break even is that true i don't necessarily know, depending on what the, you know, what, what are they defining the budget? And I'm not just uh -huh. trying to be wonky. I just, I really don't know. I think it depends. Usually they say you want, if it does, will it play for a long period of time in theaters to get the money, you know, back okay. from it? Um, the budget, I don't, I don't know. That's, okay. a, that's a, that's a little side of the industry on the finance side. I don't know. How do you... You're constantly going through film after film, and you're constantly stepping on each other's toes. And I don't know how you juggle all this and still. I mean, you seem all together to me, pretty relaxed. Need sleep. <laughs> how much sleep did you get? Now, I used to. I think when I was younger, I would. I pride myself on getting like oh five hours, six hours sleep. Five? Yeah, I know it's stupid. No, and I can't do that. Anyone? No, and anyone who says that, and you look at all the research nowadays for your health reasons wise whether you can do you know really make good informed decisions yeah. you need a good you know they say what six and a half seven and a half eight hours sleep whatever. seven's good yeah eight is great yeah <laughs> no and it, that, that's the thing so anytime someone comes to you and says i only need like five hours sleep or that's all i get oh. i feel sorry for them because you're like that's not a badge of honor you know because very often there's one time when i was working at this one studio and everyone's like oh i'm so busy i barely get any sleep and it was like everyone's like oh my almost like sewing these badges on you know honor that they do this on themselves and it's such a mistake it's such a mistake you know for a they're not basically when people say that now i say that means you're not making really good decisions because you're not mentally you know oh, cute on what you're doing you know and it's a good argument you shouldn't, you shouldn't be <laughs> you shouldn't be bragging about it and also it's like it's bad for your health and yeah. mental health and physical health yeah, it you really gain is. weight and you can't, your motor functions just yeah, do well. It really is. So it's like, so now I really make sure I try to get at least six, at least six and a half hours sleep a night, you know? And if it means that. That's still not enough, man. Or at least, I, yeah. But at least, okay. you know, but I think, but I think, but you're right. It should be like between, you know, as you're saying. Are you grinding eight, your teeth and snoring and all that stuff? I snore you're stressed out. Yeah, no, <laughs> That's so much stress, isn't it? Um, what would you say was your most, your proudest work? I would say working on michael jackson's this is it because oh, yeah. it was it, he when he passed away that was hard to watch yeah yeah it was it was it was it was weird because we had to market it within three months because he passed away and then they got all the footage from his concert yeah. tour 
literally made this movie yeah. in a short period of time and you couldn't wait too long because people would forget, you know, yes. it's like, and it's in the zeitgeist. So we had literally three months and I just basically, that's where I did get let very little sleep, you know, putting it together. But I was very proud of that campaign. We did the first live stream in multiple countries from the red carpet, to China, I think Russia, UK, we just did a live, you know, which was a lot of fun to put together. It's a pain in the butt. I'd have to wake up at I remember waking up at three in the morning at times to have calls with China. Oh. We're doing some troubleshooting with them, but it was it was it was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, no, and it was it was it was a lot of fun. I think the hard, the other thing too is that I did a about face because I because you know in the press of leading up to it, like Michael Jackson was a little freaky. You know, I mean the baby over the balcony. You know, just always wearing a mask. You know, and I was like all these allegations, and I was like, this guy is just nuts. You know, and I was like, <laughs> I wouldn't even like listen to his music. But having seen, like, going, marketed the film, you get to see the genius that he was in the way he did videos and music and fashion. I mean, he transcended a lot of, you know, yeah. parts of, you know, the industries that we, you know, we take for granted. Yeah, I do forget about those little things that he made news headlines about, but yeah. because I always, I always kind of idolized him as, like, this amazing dancer and singer. <laughs> Dancing, Like, too. he could... He could just be alone on a stage and it'll still equally be fantastic with like without fireworks and backup dancers and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's what I got back to to where you are, you know, yeah. where you are because I, I went to the path where I was like, I just wouldn't even like wouldn't even want to even. Yeah, you're like, just kind of freaky. Yeah, freaky. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, now this came back, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, as you say, dance and music and video. Some and humility fashion. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, was there a bad film that surprised you that did well? I think, you know, it's interesting. Everyone, um, you know, everyone makes fun of like, you know, these, these dumb like films that they call like that. They, basically it's kind of like these, you Which know, these, like, like any, you know, Adam Sandler films, you know, like those films Oh, they're not overall. all dumb. No, no, they aren't. You know, he actually has some, um, but people make fun of it. And I was one of those people too, but they make a lot of money because they're, they're funny. They're actually really funny. They make even internationally, they make over a hundred million dollars. And I was that snobby person that was like, oh, it's not, you know, cinephile worthy. And da -da 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 when I first started out, <laughs> you know, and I, I you know, and I've, I've slowly matured, you know, realizing yeah. it's like, you know, they're actually, they are a lot of fun. They might consider the lowbrow, you know, humor, yeah. you know, type things and fart jokes and so on. But, you know, they have heart and they have, they're very family friendly and they're fun, you know, and you yeah. can bring the entire family to go watch them. And the heart is in the right place, you know, yeah. and that snobby part of me had to kind of, you know, disappear to really appreciate that. And those, I think at the beginning, I just, I was like, really? That did so, they do so well? Like, why? You know, and they did so well because, <laughs> you know, people were right and, and I You're was like, wrong, click? you know. Did anyone like you know, Click? Click and Grown Ups and, you know, yeah. all, you know, all those films, you know, and they, they're fun. you know, they're fun. I will say his Netflix films are a little bit better. Yeah. He's kind of going back to like the, the raunchy and... Violence. Yeah, he's allowed to do that now. Yeah. The harsh language, all that. Stuff. Yeah, that's true. Well, where do you go from here, Michael Fisk? I mean, do you want to run your own studio? Yes, I'd love to. Which one? No, Are no, you allowed no. to say? No, 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 not any of the studios. I think what I would do is I would love to take the, I would love to take all the learnings that I have over these last few years of how things are marketed and distributed. Um, what works, particularly on a global scale, you know, it's not yeah. just here in North America, but what works as we talked about, like what works in Latin America, what works in Asia PAC region, what works in Europe. And, um, and then also kind of, I think the important thing is to look in the future to kind of seeing what are the trends in, in what people want, you know, to be able to look for, you know, and 
uh, being able to look at, you know, it's like sometimes you see Hollywood falling in the same trap. All of a sudden it's like everyone's like one movie does well and it's like everyone's going to make this horror movie. Oh, the horror movie did well. No, we're just on horror. You know, oh, now yeah. we're going to do like it's very, the, you know, big epic battles are going to be these moody, dark, you know, scenes. And you're like, people don't want that. And now they switched it to be kind of like tongue in cheek, you know, kind of. And you see these kind of like trends that happen, but then they kind of all follow each other. Follow each other, and it's yeah. like, how do you kind of like pick movies that you know, or that people are interested in, you know, hopefully in the future, or seeing where the demographics are changing here as a diverse more in North America. You know, yeah. it's like people want to see themselves in movies. At or the end just of the day. acquire Avatar two and three, and you're like, maybe you're good maybe to that's go, it. Bro. Well, you know, Disney's doing a really that seems to be as a strategy working. They buy you know Star Wars. They buy. You know, they have Pixar. They got to get their money back. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they, ha they have made it. You know, I mean, they, they have. I mean, just by... Oh, they broke even from the Lucas deal? They're already in licensing and merchandising. It's not all mm. the movies. Yeah, when you think about it, just everything. Oh, beyond, yeah, I forgot the little stuff. Yeah, it's like that's actually the, what drives a lot of it. I always joke. I always joke. I always feel like sometimes they make movies just so they can sell more toys. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's true too. Which may or may not be true, but... Um, but yeah, no, I think what it would be is like being able to... I'd love to make this a smaller world... Um, bringing in more films from China and Mexico into North America so people can see uh, movies from around the world and not to art house crowds, you know, not yeah. to the art house crowd like me and you, you know, who will go to Newark Theater, you know, that type of thing, or the Sunset Five, you know, but really to mainstream audiences and be able to see that families are families, people are people, you know, stories and stories. And okay. I would love to be able to kind of help with with bringing, you know, instead of just taking Hollywood films, which I love, you know, and bringing it to the world, like, how do we bring films from the world and bring it into the U.S. and being able to market those and distribute those. Unite. For people to, yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. What's a, what's, what's a big weakness that surprised you that turned into a strength? The hardest things to do are usually the right thing to do. And the hardest decisions you make are usually the right decision to make. And that... I feel has helped me, but it's it's the, it's a tough thing. I would give two examples. When I worked for uh, that nonprofit in D.C., mm. there were some they were doing some you know kind of shady things on how they did billing. And I remember I was asking questions like, okay, they said oh, in your timesheets, and when you would bill the client, like you put this. And I was like, well, I didn't do that. Was it Paul Manafort? No. <laughs> no. Maybe it was in D.C. Maybe, maybe. No, but... Um, How great of a story Yeah, exactly. That no, it's like, yeah, no. It's so funny. Yeah, it's funny. D.C., every time I go to party, when I went to parties in D.C., they say, who do you work for? That was our oh. thing. And I was like, what do you mean? Who do you work for? I was like, I work for the nonprofit. And they meant, like, which senator, which congressman, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. And here... In L.A., when I moved to L.A., the big thing was, like, you know, what project are you working on? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's always yeah, yeah. very, you know. Which I'm going to ask you later. <laughs> Which project, you know, those things. Next you week, know, I'll it's ask like, you. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. like, what are you working I, on? I was like, yeah, what are you working on? What project are you working on? And, um, Can I shoot photos? Yeah, exactly. You know? uh. No, but what I, what I, I, remember, I, I remember asking them, I was like, well, what, are you, what are you doing? And I started asking questions about what they were doing, and they pulled that away from me. Mm. And, I've no, and I was like, this is, this is not right. And I remember I, um, years later... Um, was when working for one studio when I started with them and I inherited this team, I was told, you can get rid of them all, your entire team. Oh, shit. And I sat there and I'm thinking, okay, do I want to make my boss happy? He probably will be happy if I do this. But I was like, that's, first of all, how do you know that they're not good people and they're smart and they're intelligent, strategic and professional? You know, I was like, I don't know, I just started. 
And I actually waited six months, you know, to figure out, like, let's see what they're doing. And yeah. they were a phenomenal team. Okay. They just were beaten up, you know, being thrown under different departments. They weren't given the opportunity to shine. They weren't given the opportunity to showcase what they can do. And I am so glad I never followed that advice. And it was one of the tougher things because there was this pressure to kind of do that. Yeah. And and you, the quick thing would have been like, yeah, I'll just do that. And I'll just hire my entire team from scratch. You know, okay. and I, that, I, that I've done. I can easily do that. But you have people's careers on the lines. You have people's lives, you know, and families that they support. And... It's like, if, look, if the employee, I've had to fire people because they're just not right for the job, they did something wrong, you know, whatever it might be, you know, fine. But just to not give people the chance, you know, to be able to shine and do it, that is wrong. And that was really, really hard. And I just remembered I lost a lot of sleepless nights because I was doing something by keeping them, even though I knew there was pressure from above to do something else that would have been easy to have done. Mm. And I'm, I'm really, and it was harder to keep it. And I was glad I did, you know, and it was the right, and at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. You know, yeah. it's like, and they, they were, they were phenomenal people. And now they've all gone to different studios and stuff like that. And rightly oh, so, good. Um, you know, after I left, but they've, they were, I'm, you know, I'm able to look them in the eye and saying, look, I fought for you. You know, I, I, I <laughs> protected you guys. And that's what I really do believe. So that's how you create assets. Yeah, you do. It's like, you, you know, it, it, people, I remember people who supported me. I remember who, who, who who didn't laugh at my dreams. I, I remember people who, um, who encouraged me to kind of grow and you have people in this industry that try to hold people down, yeah. you know, and you have people who, then you have the other people who try to encourage people to, to grow. And I will always remember that. And hopefully people will remember me for protecting them and trying to encourage them to grow in their careers, personal lives and, and following the dreams that they might be. And do I feel like everyone who works for me to love exactly what they do no it's it might not be the right thing you know but then pursue whatever you want and i'll do whatever it is you know it's like for example you want to do stuff with the unit photography i'll help in any way which way i can you know and you. those type of things and i think that's what, what we can do here is just as humans is just trying to help each other out you know we have very little time on this earth together you yeah. know, until we become singularity and the matrix no until then you know it's like i don't want to wake up <laughs> I like this earth. Exactly. I'm going to wake up in some subway ghetto with sentinels trying to kill us. Exactly. Um, but, okay. Well, I know you got to go. I have so many more questions, but you shared so much. Uh, I just want to tell everybody, like, uh, Michael Fisk, um, I didn't know what to expect when I, like, messaged you, but you turned out to be a super generous guy. Um, I can't believe you're doing these panels for free. And I uh, can't believe um, I get to talk to you for free. Most people just charge, like, as a consultant by the hour or something. How much How much should I charge? Billy's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, like, uh, zero. <laughs> the most I can do is five bucks. Five bucks, okay, right coffee. <laughs> yeah, uh, a medium, medium no, uh, coffee. No, I love this. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for doing this. It's been super insightful and informative. Um, anyone who gets the chance to connect with you is really lucky because uh, I don't, I just don't understand how people can be that kind and open. It, well, thank you. I'm very yeah. humbled by that. Thank Maybe because I'm just cynical in this city, <laughs> but uh, like people like you don't really exist. So I hope you do run your own studio, man. Oh, thank you. That'd be, thank you. I can see that. Thank you. You're still young and like yeah. you're you got like three brains and you're getting six and a half hours of sleep now yeah, i'm gonna i need more i need more as i'm <laughs> the like, dream you know, is to really get seven right? <laughs> yeah, that's my goal 7.15 <laughs> hours of sleep that'd be great that. 
Well, uh, well yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, really, thank you. No, it was a true pleasure. I've never done a podcast before, so this is I'm Still very excited. Shocking, no, yeah. it's a very excited about this. And cool. I know you're going to do great with these, and um, i very, very excited about you and your future. Thank you. I hope so, too. <laughs> All right, Michael. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.